Good morning, everyone. It's Lee Henson, President and Founder of Agile Dad, and it's time for today's episode of The Daily Stand-Up. Without any further ado, let's get started. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something that was sent to me. So I want to thank the subscriber who sent this article to me. It was an awesome article. It was published back in February by Christian Verwitz. I hope I said his name right. Verwitz. I'm close. Uh, but basically, what he says is, don't scale up, scale your product down. Now, Obviously, if you know me, this is in right in my vein. This is the vein of what I believe. So I'm excited to to read this article with you, to browse through it, and to give you feedback, comments, and suggestions based on what I've read here. Now, uh, Christian has no idea that I am uh, reviewing his article, but uh, I'll tell you right now, I already have a feeling that this is going to be a very positive review. So uh, I'll make sure I reach out to him and let him know that he did a fantastic job. So here we go. He starts out, he says, let's cover, uh, let's make sure we know what we discover. So by the end of the article, we're going to discover that there's an inherent contradiction at the heart of scaling Scrum across many teams or developments for a single product. I agree. Two, there is a way out of this contradiction by not scaling up the number of teams or the number of people working on it, but by scaling down the complexity of the product and leaving the teams work on it. Oh my goodness, can I tell you how many times I've said this? I, I like this guy already. Number three, descaling a product is similar to breaking down work on a product backlog. Instead of one giant backlog, you break it down into many smaller pieces of parts that surround a unifying purpose. Yay! And finally, descaling a product increases the ability of individual teams to focus on value and become more responsive to the stakeholders. For the organization, it reduces risk and encourages a culture of experimentation and entrepreneurship. I could stop there and it would be good, right? This is exactly what I hope to see. And this is something that I've been talking about actively a lot and something that I teach in my classes, but never something I took the time to publish. I might actually ask if I can republish this whole post. This is just a great post. Um, so he starts out talking about scaling Scrum is hard. I agree. Anytime we try to scale Agile in general, whether you're doing discipline, Agile delivery, safe, less, doesn't matter which one, pick your poison, Scrum at scale, Nexus, it, it's not easy. It never was intended to be easy. I mean, Safe put it in there and said, hey, you know, it's it's all so simple. It's your one-stop shop for everything. And I love it. He has a, a image here. It says, it's your one-stop shop for immediate success. The Scrum Master Essential is simply for you. And it's like buying a box of cereal in a store and a little thing of juice or ketchup or whatever. It's like, there's no such thing as a silver bullet solution. If there were, I'd be a silver bullet salesman, right? Uh, and, you know, many would argue, oh, well, you are a scrum trainer. You're a silver bullet salesman. That's not true. I come in and I, every time the solution, while it's based on sound fundamentals, the solution is different based on what type of product or service you're building. Just throw it out there so you know. But I honestly believe in most cases that any one of these, less safe, nexus, etc., that you try to apply as a one-size-fits-all model and try to fit your project into it, it it's destined for failure. It's just not going to work. So what do these what do these uh, different frameworks tell you to do? They tell you to bring in all the teams and bring in everyone, and we're going to work on Gargantua five dot nine seven six one two four. We're going to work on it now. You know, it's it, the the product of the century. It's going to take us a hundred years to build. It's like, jeez. But you'd be surprised how many times I go into Oregon that that was an exaggeration. Obviously. But when I go into organizations and I hear, we're working on this 
mega 50 billion trillion dollar project 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 like jeez <laughs> like number one nobody's ever going to be able to get their head around the whole thing number two nobody's ever going to finish and number three by the time you're done working on something that's going to be outdated you know i think that you need to focus your attention on what people can do in a day or two and if you focus your attention on it, it can be complex work but i want it to be something that has tangible actionable results i want it to be something that's out outcome focused instead of output focus. I want to make sure that we're focused on criticality and simplicity in the path. I want to make sure that we know what we're doing and that we understand. I'm good with that. Next, he talks about the marrying hypothesis. So uh, the question he proposes is, how is it a good idea to mirror this complexity in the product with complexity in a group of people that develop the product? Why would you mirror complexity? If, if it's already a hard product to build, you know, are you just going to throw more people at it? Or are you going to break it down so it's easier to work on and then work on it with the teams you have? You know, and, and you often hear me say, if it's ever a chance for you to organize the work, organize the people, always organize the work. Because the people will come into play and they will deliver. But if you focus your attention on organizing the work, you're going to end up in a lot better place. And I've said this in every one of my Scrum classes. So that, that's an important message, right? If you're going to scale, Make sure you scale correctly. And, and instead of saying scale down, I often say scale back, right? That, that's my big thing. Uh, and, and speaking of which, <laughs> the next bullet is don't scale up your development, descale your product. I agree. When you scale back, right? And you start thinking in more of a feature teams approach and you start building things to a specific product feature and you start building things so teams can get those small scale chunks that they can work on that's when you're going to start seeing results and that's when you start uh, seeing excitement. But then the question becomes, well, okay, that sounds very wise, but how do I go about descaling? Well, it's actually not that bad. So uh, I'm going to give you his list of six methods or potential strategies to descale is what he calls them. And number one, break your product down by groups or stakeholders that it serves. So if you say that here's the big product, but these features you know, are for this stakeholder or this group, these are for this stakeholder or this group. That's a great way to break down your product. And if you break down your product that way and you start building features that way, it's going to make it a lot more consumable and it's going to give you actionable feedback loop faster, which is exactly what you're trying to do. Number two, break down your product by functional services it fulfills. If it's something where it's just fulfilling a functional service, a good example is Google, right? They have a wide range of things. They got Google Drive, they got Google Slides, Google Docs, Google Photos. They break it down by function. And if you break things down by function, that makes a lot of sense, right? It wouldn't be good for them just to have the Google, the metaverse. Oh, did I go there? Sorry. Uh, it's just, you don't want to have a one-stop shop for all this stuff. While, while Google has everything, right? They also break it down by function, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, number three, break your product down by creative destruction. Now, this is interesting. Um, this talks about reducing by removing what isn't valuable or useful anymore. So you go in and you look at all the things you said you were going to have to do and you say, is any of this not valuable anymore? Is any of this not useful anymore? And you tear those things out. So you're literally destroying or destructing your product by breaking it down and deciding what's absolutely necessary and what makes sense versus what we can skip and get to later. I'm good with that. I think that's a good way to do it. 
Number four is a don't. Here we go. Number four, don't break down your product by technical layer. Now, I see people do this, and I can tell you right now, this is a bad idea, right? <laughs> when people start breaking things down into highly specialized skill niche teams, what ends up happening is isolationism. What ends up happening is single ownership instead of collective ownership. What ends up happening is these layers of dependencies that you can't break through. What winds up happening is just this, this change to, you know, where only one person in a whole organization can, can make an adjustment or a pivot. And, and that's, that's a nightmare. You want to make sure you're delivering working products and services frequently, but you also want to make sure that it's scalable and that multiple people, no set of code should ever be worked on by one set of eyes. There, I said it that way. That makes more sense, right? Okay, number five. It's many products can appear as one. That also makes sense to me, right? So if you have a whole uh, litany, so let me read it to you the way he does. It'll be a mistake to assume that breaking down your product into many smaller ones automatically means that you can't present them as a larger product together. So when you break down things into smaller products, you can always present it as a bigger picture. That's not a big deal. It's just that way you have a more structured approach to what you're trying to do and people understand exactly what you're trying to deliver and how it suits their needs, right? So, uh, and then finally, you know, I think the last thing is no matter what you choose uh, to break down your product, right, or your service into smaller products, you need to focus on what things have, in, what, what things have in common as far as shared services or shared strategies is concerned. So focus on shared strategies or shared services. So um, sometimes there's a need for uniform branding or marketing, or uh, sometimes there is uh, a specific tax law engine or business rules you gotta follow. You know, those kind of things you need to be mindful of. So you need to be mindful. I guess the way I would word this, and I'm gonna throw it in as number six, even though you didn't. He, put, he listed five, I'm putting six one in there. It's to be mindful of both security, architecture, and strategic needs, right? Uh, that if you have these shared services to make sure you bring them to the plate so that you can understand whether or how it should be broken down or can be broken down by those services. If you know that you're going to have a whole lot of creative energy being spent on one thing, but then it can be replicated elsewhere, break it down by that creative end and let the creative services team tackle that piece. Uh, there's no harm, no foul there. I think we can all agree that when you descale your products, that uh, scrum teams lose their dependencies. Dependencies go away. Product ownership is simplified because now we have a smaller portion of product to uh, focus on for each product backlog and that those product backlogs can universally be brought together into a single product backlog for the greater product. Uh, each product could have its own profit or loss, profit loss balance sheet, which makes it easy to determine if it's valuable or if it's not providing value. Uh, the module approach also means it's easier to start experiments with new products or with new features. And if the experiment fails, it's no big deal because your blast radius is limited to just that little piece of the product, which is kind of cool. And uh, it, it also promotes something that uh, he coined, I love this term, anti-fragility. When a large product fails, the damage is more significant than when a small product fails. So if a small product fails, it's not a big deal. It's not making you fragile. It's just, it's, it's a pivot. It's a bump in the road. It's something that's an adjustment. It's something that you need to fix. And I think that when you have anti-fragility, it's going to make it easier for you to really navigate and do things you need to do. So I think that'll do it for this one. Uh, this was obviously uh, a great article. I'm very impressed, and uh, I'll have to reach out and let them know. But I'm very impressed with the article. It gives a lot of good points. 
Uh, I'll put those points down in the comments below. But if you have another topic or an article that you want to send my way for me to review, please, please, please don't hesitate. I would love to review what you have. Send it over to learnmoreatagiledad.com. We'll talk about it soon. As always, we encourage you to stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Until next time, do take care.